I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, Tits Out Brigade. It's me, Anne Foster, and this is the Vulgar History podcast feed, and this is a special presentation. So as I talked about in the super special Doña Gracia Nasi episode, I'm on hiatus for the next little bit, getting ready for next season which is going to be called There's Something About Mary, Queen of Scots. And there's going to be some super special episodes every now and then between now and I'm going to estimate the beginning of March when I'm hoping that the Mary Queen of Scots season will be ready. And so this is one of those special episodes. So as I talk about at the end of every episode, I have a Patreon, which you can join at patreon.com slash Foster And so part of what I have available there to the Patreon subscribers is about every month or so, I post an episode of a series called So This Asshole, where I talk about just, I don't know, just kind of men who signify the patriarchy, as much as that's a villain in kind of all of our lives and also all the stories we tell on regular vulgar history episodes. So every month or so I talk about just kind of like, quote, a great man from history. There's this article I get a lot of my ideas from for that show because I'm not, I don't know a lot about men's history. I have consciously avoided learning about it as much as I can my whole life because there's enough people talking about that stuff. Anyways, there's this Time Magazine poll that was like the hundred most significant people of all time. And it's like a hundred people And I think they're almost all men except for three women that are like, I don't know, Joan of Arc, Queen Victoria, and Queen Elizabeth, Mary Marie Curie or somebody is on there. Anyway, so I'm just like, okay, if these are the great men of history, I'm going to go through, I'm going to learn about them, and I'm going to call them out for all their bullshit. So anyway, that happens on Patreon. And what I'm sharing with you today is one of those So This Asshole episodes. This is So This Asshole Charles Dickens, a man who I didn't know anything about his personal life until I started 
looking up about him for this. Turns out, huge asshole, actually. Anyway, so what you're going to hear is one of these Patreon recordings. These are a bit more casual than the regular Vulgar History episodes. And because these, quote, great men of history, there's so much written about them, I don't do the deep dive into multiple sources that I usually do for vulgar history, because guess what? Information about them, readily available, easy to find. So if you like what you hear, you might want to consider joining patreon.com slash Writer. So that's where if you pledge at least $5 a month, I think it's in US currency, then you get access to the whole back catalog of So This Asshole, where like this Charles Dickens episode is there, but also I talk about, I don't know, I should have looked up how many episodes there are on there. I'm going to guess there's at least 20. But I've got like, so this asshole, like Robert Dudley, Lord Darnley, Henry VIII, Thomas Jefferson, Christopher Columbus, Hernan Cortez, Napoleon, just a lot of men from history, but looking at it from my point of view. Anyway, so I hope you enjoy this super special presentation of So This Asshole, Charles Dickens, brought out from behind the Patreon paywall for you to all listen. And yeah, consider joining the Patreon and there's going to be more super specials coming up. All the announcements about what's coming up on the show, I'm sharing on um, social media, on Instagram at, or sorry, Instagram at Vulgar History Pod. I'm also on TikTok at Vulgar History. Anyway, I hope you're staying warm. If you live in a place where it's cold this time of year, where I live, it's like minus 30. So I'm basically in full hibernation research mode. Anyway, enjoy this super special presentation and you'll hear from me again soon. Pants on, tits out. Fuck you, Charles Dickens. Here we go. Hello, everyone out there in Patreon land, Patreon land, patrons. Hello, it's me. This is another episode of So This Asshole. It's a special Christmas slash festive holiday slash winter episode. And I found it very interesting. I was thinking I wanted to do something sort of like Christmassy. So I gave several options to vote on. And the wild majority, not every single person who voted, but most of the people who voted all voted for Charles Dickens. So I was like, well, clearly you all know something I don't about this guy. I vaguely have a sense that he did something shitty to his wife, but I wasn't sure about it. And then I read about it and I'm just like, oh my God. So this asshole, like title, very apt. We're looking at, um, yeah, so Life of Charles Dickens. Um, there's a lot written about him on Wikipedia because he's one of the great white men of literature. And that's the sort of person who gets a lot of write-ups in Wikipedia. I reckon we're talking about his like, books. I'm talking about him as a person, which was a multifaceted person with some considerable negative qualities. This is the first time that I've done an episode of So This Asshole where I'm like, oh, but I kind of like some of what this person did. Like, is this the first time I've done a writer? It's usually just kind of like a king or whatever. Like A Christmas Carol is a book I read as an audiobook every Christmas. Or I have for the last two or three years. There's a recording of it by Sir Patrick Stewart, which is so good. Tim Curry does one. Um, I think Dan Stevens does one. It's a really good book and story. But, you know, one can separate the art from the artist. But I'll see if I'm able to after I go through all this. About Charles Dickens. The reference here is Wikipedia. There is another book that I was like, oh, I should read this book and like get a bit more info on his wife. And I will later, but I, I wanted to record this podcast right now because you'll get the gist of it. Okay, so early years. Charles John Huffam Dickens was born on February 7th, 1812, the second of eight children of Elizabeth and John Dickens. When he was three, his dad, John, who worked for the Navy, was called, so they lived in Portsmouth. 
And then his dad was called back to London. And so the family moved to London. A year later, they relocated to Sheerness and then to Chatham, Kent, where he spent his formative years until the age of 11. His early life seems to have been idyllic, though he thought himself a very small and not overly over particularly taken care of boy. But this period of nice life came to an end in 1822. So when he was 10 years old, his dad was recalled to Navy pay. There's a lot of things in this that are like specific places in, I guess, London that mean very little to me, but perhaps they do to you. But the gist of it is John Dickens was recalled to Navy pay office headquarters at Somerset House and the family moved to Camden Town in London, except for Charles, who stayed behind to finish his final term at school. His dad, like seemingly everybody I talk about on the podcast lately, was bad with money, rapidly mounting debts. Um, His dad was living beyond his means and he was forced by his creditors into debtor's prison in 1824. So Charles was 12 years old. His wife and youngest children joined him there, as was the practice at the time, to all live together in debtor's prison, I guess, like a little family suite in debtor's prison. Charles was not one of his youngest children. So he, 12 years old, boarded with a family friend called Elizabeth Roylands. To pay for his board and to help his family, Charles was forced to leave school and work 10-hour days at Warren's Blacking Warehouse, where he earned six shillings a week pasting labels on pots of boot blacking. Now, this is like, when we get to the significance, like Charles Dickens really um, helped create an impression of what Victorian London was like, but a 12-year-old boy spending 10 hours a day pasting labels on pots of boot blacking is like the most Dickensian thing I can imagine. So the strenuous, and this clearly is why, um, so the working conditions made a lasting impression on him and later influenced his fiction essays and is part of why he was, for most of his, like all of his adult life, he's interested in reforming labor conditions because he felt like poor people were unfairly treated. A few months after his father was sent to debtor's prison, his mother died and bequeathed Charles 450 pounds. Oh no, bequeathed the dad 450 pounds. So because he had money, the dad was released from debtor's prison. um, And then he paid his creditors with this inheritance and they left to go all of the family friend, Mrs. Roylands. This is sort of like out of order, but whatever. Um, Charles's mother, before she died, did not immediately support his removal. Wait. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, sorry. It's not Charles's mother who died. Charles's grandmother, who has the same name as Charles's mother. So the grandmother died, bequeathed Charles Dickens's dad 450 pounds. And that's why he's able to get out of debtor's prison. So the whole family is going to live with Mrs. Roylands. But Charles's mother did not immediately support Charles being removed from the boot blacking label putting on a warehouse. This influenced Dickens's view that a father should rule the family and a mother find her proper sphere inside the home. So this is the beginning or the first notation of his misogyny because he didn't like his mother kept him at the boot blacking warehouse. So this was a factor in his dissatisfied attitude towards women, which we will learn more about later. Uh, then he went to another school and then he went, graduated. He worked at a law office as a junior clerk. He was a gifted mimic and impersonated those around him, clients, lawyers, and clerks. He's got like this big sort of show-off slash actor attention-seeking thing that lasts through his whole life. He went to theaters obsessively. He claimed for at least three years he went to the theater every day. Then he learned shorthand and became a freelance reporter. A distant relative helped him get 
a job there to be like a court reporter. And then in 1830, he met his first love, Maria, or British people say Mariah Beadnell. Mariah's parents disapproved of him, understandably, because he was a terrible person, and ended the relationship by sending her to Paris to get away from him. I would say that probably was a good choice. So in 1832, age 20, Dickens was energetic, increasingly self-confident. He enjoyed theater, he enjoyed doing impressions of people, but he lacked a clear, specific sense of what he wanted to become. All he knew was he wanted to be famous. He landed an acting audition at Covent Garden, but ultimately missed the audition because he had a cold. Before another audition came up, he had set out on his career as a writer instead. So he benefited from family friends. He's not like a bootstrap, make your own thing thing. Like he like had connections, even though he, you know, worked in a boot blacking factory before. So his uncle on his mother's side offered him a job on the Mirror of Parliament, and he worked in the House of Commons. He worked as a political journalist, reporting on parliamentary debates, traveled across Britain to cover election campaigns for the Morning Chronicle. And then the Morning Chronicle launched an evening edition, and he was invited to contribute. uh, So the Chronicle's music critic was called George Hogarth, and they became friends. He invited Charles over to hang out at his house, and that is where he met George Hogarth's daughters, particularly the oldest two or no, there's three daughters, Georgina, Mary, and Catherine. Catherine is 19 years old, and that is going to be his wife. So Catherine, who is she? What is her deal? Catherine Hogarth was born in Edinburgh, Scotland in 1815, moved to England with her family in 1824. She was the eldest daughter of 10 children. Oh, sorry. So it's not just the three girls. There are 10 children, but they were the oldest three. Um, her father was a journalist. That's how they met, blah, blah. Dickens immediately took a liking to the beautiful 19-year-old Catherine, invited her to his 23rd birthday party. They later became engaged and were married in 1836 on April 2nd. They went on their honeymoon in Chalk, which is a place, set up a home in Bloomsbury. During that period, Charles wrote, that even if he were to become rich and famous, he would never be as happy as he was in that small flat with Catherine, which was a lie, as we were going to unpack. Around the same time they got married, Dickens wrote the Picnic, what was it called? The Pickwick Papers, and became super famous and successful. Like, unprecedentedly successful. Successful in this, like, Marvel Cinematic Universe, like, huge way where, like, everyone was about the Pickwick Papers. So... He became a source for sort of like author, entrepreneur, authorpreneur. So there were spinoffs and merchandise like Pickwick cigars, playing cards, figurines, puzzles, boot polish, and joke books. So he was a creature of capitalism, despite the fact he was a writer who made his reputation crusading against the squalor of the Industrial Revolution. He saw that capitalism was a system and he was like, I'm going to become rich from it. So he ensured that his books were available in cheap bindings so lower class people could buy them, as well as in fancier editions for rich people. He, his ideal readership included everyone from pickpockets to Queen Victoria, and frankly, they all read his shit. So Catherine's sister Mary joined their household to offer support to them as just like a household helper, which was like not unusual for the Unwed sister of a new wife to live with and help a newly married couple. Charles Dickens became very attached to Mary, but she was sick and she died in his arms after a brief illness. Um, as a consequence of the shock of her death, he stopped working 
And he and Catherine went off and lived on a farm for two weeks. In fact, his grief was so great, he was unable to meet the deadline for the June installment of the Pickwick Papers. But he got back to writing and continued to be very popular, etc. And I guess a lot of the like tragic, young, dying women in his books were inspired by Mary Hogarth. And then he went on a two-month tour of Scotland where he would just like read from his books and like do funny voices and it was very popular. And then... In June 1841, he went on a two-month tour of Scotland, but then after it ended in September, he telegraphed he decided to go to America. So he just kind of liked wandering around, doing, like, showing off, doing readings, getting money, and abandoning his wife and children. He was uh, an avid and even compulsive walker. Scarcely a day went by that Dickens didn't flee his desk and take to the streets of London and its suburbs. He routinely walked as many as 20 miles a day. He once set out at 2 a.m. to walk from his house in London to his country residence, 30 miles away. As several of his walking companions described it, he had a distinctive swinging gait. His walk served him in two ways. On one level, there were fact-finding missions during which he recorded with his keen eye the teeming urban landscapes whose descriptions were his stock in trade. So he just like wanders everywhere to see everything. And that is an interesting habit but also he would just like go out wandering and like abandon Catherine and their children which I'm going to talk about in a minute because he it's like night and he's like well I'm you know miles away from home I guess I'll just stay in this pub or whatever so he just like wandered off all the time so after Mary's death Catherine's younger sister Georgina joined the family household while Charles Dickens and Catherine sailed to America so They had left their children behind and Georgina, Auntie Georgina, watched them. They had four children by this point, Charles Jr., Mary, Kate, or Catherine Jr., and Walter. And then, let's see, Charles Dickens produced a play. He's still really interested in theater. His wife had a minor role. She fell through a trap door during one performance, which sounds very dramatic. And then she herself wrote a book. She used the pseudonym Lady Mariah Clutterbuck, which is a great name. Her book was called What Shall We Have for Dinner? Satisfactorily answered by numerous bills of fare for from two to 18 persons. So like a book of recipes. It contained many suggested meals, menus for meals of varying complexity with a few recipes. And it was published and republished for like 10 years. So she was successful as a writer as well. And then we're up to 1851, by which point they'd had six more children. So this is like 10 children total. Same as her. She grew up with 10 There's 10 siblings in her family. So in addition to the previous four children I already named, they now have Francis, Alfred, Sidney, Henry, and Dora. But in 1851, Dora died eight months old, and Catherine was understandably upset. They had one more child after this called Edward. So nine children who survived infancy. And this is where, well, now we learn about how the heading I have here is Dickens is a dick to Catherine. So allegedly, he... Even though he was never home, he started like telling people that Catherine was an incompetent mother and housekeeper. He blamed her for the birth of their 10 children because having so many children caused him financial worries. Like Charles Dickens, like you had a role to play in the conception of these children. Like, come on. He had hoped that Walter, their fourth child, would be their only one. But then surprise, she had six more children because like he kept impregnating her like that's her fault. He claimed that she wanted a lot of children because she came from a big family, and maybe she did, and maybe they should have had this discussion before they started having children. He even tried to have her diagnosed as mentally ill and to have her committed to an insane asylum, 
like he was never home. She was grieving her child. She was like perpetually pregnant or postpartum. And he's like, oh, this is inconveniencing me. I don't like this woman. To ensure no more children could be born, he ordered their beds to be separated and put a bookshelf in between them. So like Charles Dickens, like fuck off basically. So he flirted with a person called Eleanor Picken, the young fiance of his lawyer's best friend. One night he grabbed her and ran with her down to the sea. He declared they're both to drown there in the sad sea waves. She uh, unentangled herself from him and afterwards kept her distance, obviously, because he is uh, not a person you want to be around. So when he was in America, by the way, he condemned slavery, correlating the emancipation of the poor in England with the abolition of slavery abroad. Uh, citing newspaper accounts of runaway slaves disfigured by their masters. Um, but in spite of the abolitionist sentiments that he shared after his trip to America, modern commentators have pointed out inconsistencies in Dickens' view on racial inequality. So, for instance, he subsequently was okay with Governor Eyre doing a harsh crackdown during the 1860s Morant Bay Rebellion in Jamaica. He did not join other British progressives in condemning this act. And now we're just going to take a break for a word from our sponsors. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. So the thing is, I have allergies. My nose gets stuffy. I get sort of sinus congestion, and it just really can sometimes get in the way of doing things I really want to be doing, like recording this podcast, for instance. But you might have noticed that when you're listening to this podcast, you never hear me sounding like a duck or uh, with a runny nose. I'm never wiping my nose or stuff on the microphone. And that's because luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. So I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies, and the thing is, when I'm using it, you won't even know that I have allergies. My voice sounds so crystal clear when I'm recording and when you're listening to me right now. But also when I'm not doing podcasts, when I'm doing other life-related things, like just going about my day-to-day life, like sitting on the bus or going to work or whatever, going to the movie theaters. I don't have to worry about like, do I have tissues with me? Do I have a handkerchief? Is this noise bothering everybody? Am I being gross? Ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it.
And we're back. The popularity he gained. So he just got more and more popular from all these like tours of his performances because he was like an actor slash writer. So his readings were like really like a David Sedaris moment. Like his readings were just like a big people liked reading his books, but they loved seeing him read his books out loud. He wrote A Christmas Carol, which was very popular. It did much to promote a renewed enthusiasm for the joys of Christmas in Britain and America. So he was also like the story was so popular and his readings of it that it sort of like made Christmas more of a big deal than it had been before. So in that way, he kind of invented the modern concept of Christmas as this like major situation. He lived briefly in Italy, traveled to Switzerland, like continued to not be around his wife, but say that she was a terrible mother, even though he wasn't there. And clearly he was a terrible father. What else did he do? He did some okay things. For instance, um, he helped set up a home for the redemption of fallen women of the working class. So this was a home that would replace the punitive regimes of existing institutions with a reform, reformative environment conducive to education and proficiency, proficiency in domestic household chores. So he founded this home called the Urania Cottage, and he managed it for 10 years. Around 100 women graduated during the time that that was running. His religious views, he expressed a distaste for certain aspects of organized religion. He disapproved of Roman Catholicism and also 19th century evangelicism. He referred to the Catholic Church as that curse upon the world. So he just had opinions on everything. If he was on Twitter, he would be like a picture, like a Piers Morgan type person. He would just be like, here's what I think. And what I think is correct. And I have opinions on everything. Following the Indian mutiny of 1857 in India, he joined in widespread criticism of the East India Company for its role in the event but reserved his fury for the rebels themselves, wishing that he was the commander-in-chief in India so he would be able to, quote, do my utmost to exterminate the race upon whom the stain of the late cruelties rested. And then, because frankly, what I find most interesting about this is him and Catherine. So, 1857, he hired professional actresses for a play called The Frozen Deep, which was written by him and his protege, Wilkie Collins. Charles Dickens fell in love with one of the actresses, Ellen Turnin, who was 18 years old and he was 45 years old. And there's a movie called, I think it's The Invisible Woman with Rafe Fiennes is in it and Felicity Jones plays her. And it's a movie all about how they are in love and it's okay because his wife is a terrible shrew. So it's kind of like if Charles Dickens made a movie, how he would have explained the situation, which actually was just a 45-year-old man leaving his wife for an 18-year-old because he didn't like grown women, because he didn't like people. He didn't like female people, seemingly, except for very malleable 18-year-olds. So what happened, just the same way that, at least according to the Crown, Princess Diana found out that Charles was with Camilla again, she found a bracelet. So Charles Dickens had ordered a bracelet for Ellen Turner, and it was delivered to the household, and Catherine, I guess, like, was the one who got accepted the parcel. So there are also rumors that he was having an affair with Georgina, Catherine's sister, but I, it seems like maybe he did also, but the Ellen Turner thing was definitely happening. And to the point that Charles Dickens and Catherine separated in May, 1858, divorce was unthinkable for someone as famous as him. So they just kind of like officially stopped living together. Catherine left 
She took with her their oldest child, Charles Jr. The other eight children remained behind with Charles, but really he was wandering off doing readings all the time. So really it was Georgina, the aunt, who was taking care of them. There were lots of rumors about his affair with this teenager, and Charles Dickens wrote op-eds in the newspaper, sort of explaining like, Ugh, like I'm totally not having an affair, but also if I did, who can blame me? Because Catherine, my wife, was actually a terrible wife. She was a terrible mother. She was incompetent. Um, I tried to get her sent to an insane asylum because she's so useless. And it was only her sister Georgina who held the family together all this time. Catherine sucks. So he really did his very best to paint his wife as a horrible mother slash human being to justify running off with a younger woman, although he said he hadn't done that, but like he had. After separating from Catherine, he did a bunch of reading tours just to sort of remind everybody like, hey, you know, forget about the scandal. I'm this charming guy who does impressions and voices. And he just really focused on his touring and reading career. He only, he only quote, wrote two more novels during this next period. In early September, 1860, Charles Dickens made a bonfire of most of his correspondence. Only the letters on business matters were spared. Ellen Turnin also destroyed all of his letters to her, so the extent of the affair between them remains speculative. So that's quite a choice to make for someone who wanted to be famous and wanted everyone to know what he was doing, to burn them all. There is a rumor that he and Ellen Turnin had a son who died in infancy, but no evidence, contemporary evidence exists. That was just Charles Dickens' daughter decades later claimed that this had happened. When he died, he left a bunch of money to Ellen Turnin, which made her financially independent. So the book, The Invisible Woman, which I guess the movie was based on, argues that Ellen Turnin lived with Charles Dickens secretly for the last 13 years of his life. In the same period, Charles Dickens got very interested in the paranormal, and he became a member of a thing called the Ghost Club. So... In 1865, when returning from Paris with Ellen Turnin, a woman who he was totally not having an affair with, they were involved in a rail crash, like a train accident. The first seven carriages of this train plunged off a cast iron bridge that was under repair. Horrifying. The only first class carriage to remain on the track was the one Dickens was traveling in. Before the rescuers arrived, he tended and comforted the wounded and the dying with a flask of brandy and a hat refreshed with water, and he saved some lives. So this is what I mean, like he did some okay things. Before leaving, he remembered that he had left the unfinished manuscript for his new book, and he returned to the carriage to retrieve it. But then he avoided appearing at the inquest about the accident, because he didn't want to disclose that he had been traveling with Ellen Turnin and her mother, which would have caused a scandal. He was nervous when traveling by train after this, understandably, and would use alternative means when available. Like, again, understandably. How I sort of knew that he had an affair with a younger woman before I started reading up on Charles Dickens was when the movie came out. Let me just look it up so you can know the title. The movie is called, yeah, it's called The Invisible Woman. So I guess based on that same book. So the thing is, in this movie, Felicity Jones plays Charles Dickens' 18-year-old soulmate. Ray Fiennes plays Charles Dickens. And Kristen Scott Thomas plays the mother of Ellen Turnin and why I remember this happening is because in The English Patient several decades earlier, Ray Fiennes and Kristen Stuck, Scott Thomas played love interests of each other. Then they reunited in this movie where Kristen Scott Thomas plays the mother of his love interest. And it's just, I came across it because it's just one of those like fucked up things where like Hollywood men, their love interests always stay the same age, even as the men get older. So like what Charles Dickens was up to, it's like still, I don't know. Just a shitty thing of men dating 
like, because um, Catherine was 19 when they met and then he later left her for a 19 year old, like almost like he prefers women who are girls who are still developing as human beings, more malleable so he can groom them better. Perhaps he doesn't like a woman who's like an actual wife who like has 10 children with him and then blames her. God, Charles Dickens. Anyway, so nervous about trains. After the Civil War in America ended, he went to America for another reading tour. And let's see, he got very sick there. So by the end of the tour, he could hardly manage solid food, subsisting on champagne and eggs beaten in sherry, which is quite an interesting thing for to be the only thing he was able to eat. It reminds me of um, Percy Shelley's or Lord Byron's vegetarian diet, which was like wine only. And then he went back to Britain to avoid having to pay taxes for the success of his tour in England. So I guess he knew that he was sick. So he gave a series of farewell readings in England, Scotland, and Ireland. He was showing more and more symptoms of I'm not sure what, but he was affected by apparently giddiness and fits of paralysis. He suffered a stroke in April 1869 and then collapsed a few days later. And then the rest of the farewell tour was canceled. He began work on his final novel. Once he regained some strength with medical approval, he did one final series of readings to make up because people had like, he had sponsors for the tour. And then I guess he had to pay them back because he had canceled it. He made his last public appearance on May 2nd of that year. And then one month later, June 1870, he suffered another stroke at home. He never regained consciousness. And the next day he died at Gads Hill Place, aged just 58. Like what a body of work he had, considering he died aged 58. One of his biographers suggested Charles Dickens was actually in Peckham when he suffered the stroke and his mistress, Ellen, and her maids had taken him back to Gads Hill so the public would not know the truth about their relationship and that he had been with her. His wish was to be buried at Rochester Cathedral in an inexpensive, unostentatious, and strictly private manner, but that is not what happened. Instead, someone, I don't know, Ellen or somebody decided that he should be laid to rest in the poet's corner of Westminster Abbey. His last words were on the ground in response to his sister-in-law Georgina's request that he lie down. So he left money to his longtime colleague, John Forster. He left money to Georgina, as well as two of his sons, or his two sons. There's not, he didn't just choose two of his many sons. The rest were daughters, I guess. Although he and Catherine had been separated for several years, he provided her with an annual income and... He also bequeathed some money to each servant in his employment at the time of his death. Dickens and Catherine had little correspondence after their separation, but she remained attached and loyal to her husband. And this is the thing that is just like truly heartbreaking about all of it, which is that she tied up her entire identity as being like the, the wife of Charles Dickens. This was like her whole, like being his wife was so important to her. And then he dumped her, but she never stopped loving him. And it's really sad. So if you want to read more about her, there's a book called The Other Dickens, A Life of Catherine Hogarth by Lillian Nader, which sort of explains who she was, what her whole deal was, um, and how it sucks the way that she was treated. So she still kept considering herself. His wife was like her most important job. She died nine years after him. On her deathbed, Catherine gave the collection of letters she had received from Dickens, which she did not burn. She gave them to her daughter, Kate, 
and said, give these to the British Museum so the world may know that Charles loved me once. So all the letters between Charles and Ellen were burned up, but she kept the ones where he, back when he used to love her, remember when he was like, I could never be more happy than living in this little flat with Catherine and not being famous, which was untrue. Catherine Dickens was buried alongside their infant daughter, Dora, who had died in 1851. And yeah, she really still saw herself as Mrs. Charles Dickens. That was like really important to her. But she did retain her social status. Ellen Turnin, like after Charles Dickens died, Queen Victoria wrote a note like of condolences to Catherine. And, you know, Ellen did not get that, even though Ellen was the one who Charles had been living with at that point, allegedly. So his mixed legacy, he pushed Victorian mythos in a big way, ugliness included, and was extremely successful at it. So he really mythologized what the Victorian era in London was like to the point that we all, we all, I don't know, I think a lot of people understand like when we say like Victorian London, like what comes to mind is a very much the kind of stuff he wrote about, like both the sort of like awful child labor stuff and then also the sort of like family wholesomeness and stuff. He invented and reinforced most of the mythology of the Victorian era that is still stifling society and culture to this day where people are like, well, Victorian, you know, like family values, etc. It's like, well, like, no, that's not true or real, but it's kind of what he wrote about. He was a very serious advocate for the poor at the time when they had far too few advocates, although his advocating, is that the word, for them was sort of like... It, it was sort of this sort of like well-intentioned, like rich white person way of advocating for the poor. Like he was himself for sure. Like his father's in debtor's prison. He was like working 10 hours a day in a shoe label factory, age 10. So like he lived through it, but then he became rich and successful pretty early on through a lot of family connections. So he advocated for the poor, but also it was kind of like on his terms. His work influenced the development of just like the novel in like English language. He was also a good editor of other people. He advocated for other writers, including some women writers. However, in his writing, he's very few strong female main characters. And although he includes a lot of working class characters, most of them are not that smart and are very pleased to be subservient, which is kind of part of the whole like Victorian mythology that he sort of popularized. He did get it in the sense of like, he didn't think like, oh, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Like if you work hard enough, you'll succeed. He was actually very against that as a concept because he saw how that didn't work. He sort of wrote about how it's a problem to just leave people to advocate for themselves when actually the system is stacked against them. So this is where he's got like, there's a lot to dig into with him. He was really concerned about the plight of children especially poor children, as a result of his personal experience where he was thrown into supporting himself at a young age. He just wasn't that concerned about, I guess, his own children who he abandoned. When somebody was a shitty person to him or he saw someone being shitty, he would make a character based on them in his next book. And then that, in that sort of like subtweet sort of way that I sort of admire, like his characters, his like awful characters are so awful. Like a lot of like Scrooge, for instance, who redeems himself and I think is misunderstood, but that's the only one I really know off the top of my head. But you can still trash awful people by comparing them to Dickens characters. So he did a lot to address horrible, you know, factory owners and things. Working conditions were just like ghastly back then. And he 
through his books, he kind of made rich people aware that things were kind of shitty. And that was good to make people maybe try to help. So every time, well, these days you still see when there's some sort of like shitty legislation goes through, for instance, U.S. Congress, critics still bring up maybe, it's not unusual to see somebody bring up a Dickensian character to sort of like explain why this is a shitty sort of legislation. He also did like, because he burned a lot of his letters, but a lot of stuff does still survive. So he did accept criticism and try to improve in some ways. For instance, there's a whole exchange of letters that are still around. He had with a Jewish fan who is, who is a woman who pointed out like um, the character of Fagin in Oliver Twist was clearly anti-Semitic. And they back and forth for a little bit. And he eventually not only apologized, but wrote Our Mutual Friend, the book, which is a major subplot about a pure and noble Jewish character who is unfairly targeted because of the exact kind of anti-Semitic stereotypes that Charles Dickens had written into the character in Fagin and Oliver Twist. So it's not like, oh, you know, he was, he solved racism, but it's like he did listen and he was kind of trying. So this is what I mean. Like he's got a mixed legacy. To me though, the way he treated Catherine is, I could, I don't know. I like A Christmas Carol. He treated Catherine so badly. He did some cool stuff. He did some shitty stuff. It's not as like clear cut to me as it has been with some of the other assholes. Is he awful or not? But anyway, time for some scoring. His scandaliciousness. So the whole thing with Ellen Turnin, leaving his wife, trying to have her committed, is shitty. And it was clearly scandalous at the time to the extent he had to like write newspaper articles about it. But like, I'm going to say he's not very scandalicious in and of himself. I'm going to give him a three for scandaliciousness. His scheminess I'm going to give him okay marks for that because I'm going to like his scheminess just he wanted to be rich and famous and he became rich and famous. He found ways to like market his books in clever ways. He figured out that this like reading tours was a way to make himself famous, which made his books more famous. Isn't I don't know if this is true or not, but isn't wasn't he paid by the word? So he like made his books be like really wordy. Like I'll give him a seven for scheminess because the other scheme is like trying to get rid of his wife, which he never effectively did because she still loved him. You know, if he had like murdered her, I'd give her ten, him a 10 for scheminess, but he just abandoned her, which is just shitty. His significance is very high. I'm going to give him a 10 for significance because Charles Dickens, super famous, his books, highly influential, not just to like reading and writing, but the whole thing about like the Victorian era and stuff. His sexism is a 10 because he, I, you know, he did support some women writers, but he also demonized his own mother. Um, he was cruel and so awful to Catherine, like just discarded her entirely, blamed her for everything. Um, and, but just sort of like put on a pedestal, like her sisters left her for a teenager, like God, Charles Dickens. So again, if you want to read more about Charles Dickens treating his wife horribly, there's this book called the other Dickens, a life of Catherine Hogarth by Lillian Nader which I have acquired and I just have not yet personally read it, but I will. I'm, I mean, to be perfectly honest, like it's Christmas season, which is a season that I celebrate through watching numerous cheesy films and reading books that I really like. And one of the books that I really like to read at Christmas is A Christmas Carol. So like in January, when I get back into reading or consuming anything non-Christmas related, perhaps I will look at that. 
book and get mad at Charles Dickens all over again. Um, yeah, that's your little Patreon episode for the month of December. I'm going to have a poll soon to see who you want to hear about in January, or maybe I'll just find something interesting and I'll just post that for you. But I truly appreciate like from the bottom of my heart, all of you Patreons out there listening to this. I started the Patreon. I didn't know how it would go if anyone would support me. And now several people are, and that's lovely. And I don't take it lightly and I really appreciate it. So again, that was a special treat for you. I just brought out that Patreon, previously Patreon-exclusive episode of So This Asshole, Charles Dickens, for you to enjoy. And there are going to be some more super specials coming up over the next several weeks. I don't know if I've if it's going to be every week or every other week, just like when I have new stuff, I will be posting it um, in January and February. And then the new season, there's something about Mary Queen of Scots will probably kick off around March. So yeah, consider joining the Patreon. So if you pay at least $5 a month, then you get access to the whole back catalog and to one new episode of So This Asshole every month. And if you join the Patreon at $1 per month, then what you get is early access to all the new episodes, early ad-free episode access, I should say, to all the new episodes of Vulgar History. And yeah, thank you all for listening. You can keep up with me on Instagram, Vulgar History Pod, on TikTok at Vulgar History. And yeah, keep your pants on, tits out, and I'll talk to you all again real soon. Vulgar History is hosted, written, and researched by Anne Foster and edited by Christina Lumagi. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.